Today is April 17th, 2018, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast, episode 86. Today on the show, we're breaking down Android apps that are targeting kids, simulated humans, learning new skills, and all the juicy deets on Tesla getting kicked from the NTSB's probe. Is that new legislation I smell? Human Factors Cast starts right now. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today, as always, by my good friend and yours, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Here we are on a Tuesday night. So excited to actually be doing the podcast tonight, Nick. Yes, we are. Sorry, everyone. We're back on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. We're not, it's okay, though. We brought friends. Woodrow Gustafson is here with us. Yes, our field correspondent for next week's Kai conference is here with us to break down all the stories. Woodrow, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been on the show, actually. We've, it's been, what, since August uh 7th 2017 so it's been a, a good minute since you've been on the show uh, yeah i was getting a little bit of withdrawals man I'm, I'm glad i'm back well hey i'm glad you're back too so just to let our listeners kind of know woodrow we kind of poke fun at him and say he's our ergo guy he's got a much bigger skill set than just that but he knows more about ergo than we do so that's why we refer to him as the ergo guy but uh oh, it's, just it's it's a er- hey, real quick it's ergo boy ergo boy that's right er, ergo boy wonder over there so there you go so just to let our listeners know woodrow is going to be covering uh computer human interaction uh conference in montreal canada next week and we wanted to bring him on the show this week to kind of let everyone know if you're just joining us uh if you if you haven't if you just started listening to the show since august 7th um this is woodrow he's going to be our field correspondent so a big thanks to you, Woodrow, for, for breaking things down. But I want to know what's going on with you guys. Blake, how about you? What's going on? Oh, before we jive too deep, I was hoping that Woodrow could maybe give us a peek at what he was hoping to see while he's at the conference to let people know maybe what they could hear next week. Oh, yeah, I dig that. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as as uh, Nick was saying, <clears throat> I'll be attending the CHI 2018 uh, conference in Montreal. Really, really excited about it. Um and some of the things, uh, so if, uh, if, if any of you, uh, know the mother of all demos, um, that Douglas Engelbart, uh, demonstrated back, uh, 50 years ago is actually the anniversary. And so they're doing a big, um, when he actually, uh, showed the, uh, online system, which is now what we call the internet. Um, so they're doing a big, uh, reception and kind of expo to kind of, uh, to kind of highlight that and do kind of technologies of the future. Uh, demonstrations and so I'm really really looking forward to that there they're going to be some really cool things I did post a uh, teaser trailer which is also on their website uh, kai2018.acm.org the the teaser trailer man I'm telling you it gave me goosebumps Uh, Nick and I watched it in my office yeah we were just like we were giddy it's incredible the stuff that they're showing yeah just to jump in here you posted that on our slack Um, and that's that's a good sort of segue here to just say if you're 
curious about the community and, and want to join us, we have a Slack link. You can uh, We post that pretty much anywhere you can find us. You can find that Slack link as well. we got a full community full of uh, both me and Blake. we got Woodrow in there, a couple of the other hosts that have been on the show, uh, as well as a wealth of knowledge from a variety of different human factors individuals. Uh, it's a great place to kind of hang out and see these hype videos like Woodrow mentioned. I just want to do a big shout out to Genevieve for joining the Human Factors Cast Slack channel. Uh, so welcome. We're happy to have you. We're happy to have any of you who want to join. Um, but Woodrow, is there anything else that you are looking forward to at, at uh, Kai? Um, yeah, actually, they, they have some uh, some really cool papers and, and courses and everything. But I know that uh, you covered one thing that they're actually covering, that the paper is actually going to be there, which I'm really excited to kind of see and uh, try to actually sit down and talk with the people. Uh, <clears throat> tactile feedback from keyboards. Oh, yes. Um, we, we covered this and, on the show a couple weeks ago. Right. And uh, I remember you talking about it, and it just so have paper at Kai. And so uh, I'm going to see if I can maybe grab them for about five minutes and just uh, chat with them a little bit. I, that's going to be really That'd be excellent. And, and uh, we are happy to have that type of content coming out of next week. So we're going to shoot for a couple bonus episodes. Uh, we'll do at least one for sure. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna shoot for a couple. You know, we could be late this week. We had some work conflicts. Well, I did anyway. Uh, it's all my fault. So don't blame Blake. Blake, blame me um, for us being late this week. But uh, but yeah. So Blake, what's going on with you, man? I, I want to know what's uh, what's going on in Blake's world. Oh man, not a whole lot. I'm feeling super stoked to be having Woodrow on the show again, and I can't wait to see what happens next week from Kai 2018. But Nick, so I've been experiencing a bunch of different problems with my iphone and one of them is that it's overheating like no other and i can't figure out why and so this was this was kind of like a longer drawn out thing that i was going to talk about but basically the premise is, is every time i get in my car and i'll like i'll flip my phone on to either you know listen to a podcast or just listen to music about five to ten minutes into my drive it'll automatically overheat and everything on the phone shuts down and all i get is this kind of you know warning symbol that with the red exclamation point and it was it was one of these instances where you see a, a kind of a, a warning indicator without any real user feedback because I, I have no idea what the problem is or what or even like a code to go and search which you might be familiar with if you ever had problems on like pc or mac sometimes it gives you some really long set of characters you can type into google and maybe figure out the problem but that's that's been going on a bunch this week so that's been driving me absolutely insane uh, but Nick, what has been going on with you, man? I feel like I haven't seen you for a week, and then when you do come back to the office, I, I have, still haven't seen you. Yeah, so uh, really quick, Blake, it's funny that you mentioned that because my phone has been having similar issues. I'm on Android, and I have these issues where uh, a, a certain podcast addict app that I have will overheat uh, just in the background when, when stuff isn't even playing. So I'm wondering if there's there's some sort of uh, cyber attack with, with uh, podcasts going on that we don't know about. It could be, man. They're out to get us. They don't want us absorbing all this knowledge and entertainment through our earballs. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. You asked me what's going on. I, so I, like you said, I had a week off, and um, I had this weird thing happen to me on this week off. I, I kind of lost my circadian rhythm, um, and with that, I had this weird sort of loss of self purpose. Uh, like I kind of. I had a list of things that I wanted to accomplish on my week off. It was a staycation. We still did a podcast. We actually launched our uh, first episode of Human Factors Cast Infinite. You guys can go back and listen to that. Uh, for our Patreon subscribers, we launched the first one for free. And, and um, 
you know, we still did all that, but I just, I kind of lost this sense of not who I was, but you know, what my purpose was. And I just, it, it, it kind of really highlighted this importance of routine in our everyday lives and, you know, getting up and doing something that if, if you go to a job that you find meaning in it, it really sort of, uh, um, you know, nails home that point that if you don't have that stability in your life, then, uh, it's very easy to get lost. Oh yeah. I can totally understand that. I mean, it, especially when I first started trying to like learn web development and do freelancing stuff. And I was back in that learning mindset, but having to do like self-teaching, I feel like I just felt like the days and the weeks would disappear because it was a lot of self-driven study where time was very like, it sometimes just takes a lot longer to do things. And there was no physical outcome or like monetary outcome for it for a long time. So I, I definitely can agree, like, especially with the loss of circadian rhythm. I remember there was a lot of long nights and long days as well as really not knowing is this going to amount to anything at the end of it um which is which is a little bit different for your case right because you were just off for a week uh, but that's that's interesting you felt all of that just being off from work yeah it was really wild um i had one other thing happen over this um so so we've mentioned anchor on the show and uh they launched this new thing this week called co-host and basically what this is, is you type in um, sort of this this topic that you want to talk about, and it matches you up with a random person. And it, Anchor is the podcasting app that we use that had really bad quality, for those of you who remember when we were doing the, uh, when we were kind of forced, and, and our, our very generous listener, Brian, had to fix the audio for us. Um, the it's basically a podcasting app and, and they, they've made it so that you can sort of select these topics, put out these topics in the world. Like right now I'm looking at it and um, there are various topics available such as uh, let's see here. We got cooking and kids, uh, paganism, roots, reggae music, uh, podcast ideas, weed. There's a ton of things on here. Um, so Obviously, I had to check this out, right? So I'm going to play you just a, a quick snippet. We'll, we'll play the full interview on our, our Human Factors cast, Infinite, this week. Um, but here's like a quick snippet of this random guy I met uh, named Sky talking about movies. So here, here this is. Um, yeah, it took a while for us to, like, I don't know, like, get an actual recording. But even then, we couldn't really hear each other in the recording. So, um. Yeah, I ended up deleting and actually d- downloading again because of this co-host thing, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so I actually tried the app as well with my co-host uh, for an episode that we were doing. Um, not on film, but it was... Uh, we, we tried doing it because we both didn't have access to our normal setup, and uh, it did not work that well. I mean, the recording quality was... Uh, kind of all over the place like his volume was a little higher than I than mine was and and uh, it just didn't sound as good as the normal setup but I mean it's cool that that they're providing this kind of content to connect people with other people to talk about stuff yeah yeah I thought that well I actually put this on the wall like I added my own topic and then so you can hear the full interview on our human factors cast infinite but I just thought that was a really cool interesting uh, new way to sort of connect with other people on these things yeah it's kind of bringing my faith back in anchor although like for my own 
podcast doing the UX rant that I've done through there has been fine. But the episode that you and I recorded was really kind of turned me off the app. But I now I want to hop on there and talk to somebody about, I don't know, jujitsu or exercise or Joe Rogan. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was uh, really interesting. But, um, okay, let me go over a couple things here before we jump into the news. Uh, I just want to shout out that, again, Woodrow, our field correspondent, will be out there in Montreal, Canada next week for Kai, uh, and we will have as many bonus shows for you as we can uh, with coverage from that. We have UXPA Boston. Uh, That's going to be a conference happening on uh, May 10th, which is a Thursday. And then uh, we have HFES this year in Philly from October 1 through 5. Uh, We'll be there. And then we have HFES Australia, and that's in Perth. And I, I think we have a, a website for that now. We'll, we'll check in with Mateo. But why don't you say we get into the news? All right, so this is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This could be anything from medical, transportation, whatever it is. You, you name it. Virtual reality, augmented, whatever. It's fine. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it is fair game for us to talk about. Blake, what do we got up first this week? Oh, let's kick off this week with a little Tesla news. So the National Transportation Safety Board told Tesla Incorporated last Wednesday that the car maker was being removed from the investigation of a fatal accident prior to the company actually announcing that it had withdrawn from this same investigation. The unusual move came after public statements by the Tesla Tesla blaming the driver of a model a Tesla Model X who died in a March collision as an apparent violation of the NTSB agency protocols. The NTSB guards the integrity of its investigations closely, demanding that the participants adhere to the rules about what information they can release and expect, and they do expect full cooperation. So Tesla withdrew from the party agreement with the NTSB because the NTSB requires that they not release information about autopilot to the public, a requirement which Tesla believes is fundamentally affects public safety negatively. Further said in an emailed statement, Tesla also said that they believe in transparency. So an agreement that prevents public release of information over for over a year is unacceptable. Now, Nick, you and I had covered this story back in, I guess, March of last year or March of this year. The crash. Yes, we, we covered yeah. the crash, but not the information piece. Um, I find this interesting for a variety of reasons. Uh, Tesla is pushing this transparency and um, the National Traffic and Safety Board, right? That's what it is. <laughs> they, uh, I should know this. <laughs> we talk about a, transportation. <laughs> there you go. Uh, th- yeah, they they uh, seem to want to cover everything up until um, all the details are out there. And I, I'm at odds with this because I understand both perspectives, right? Um by elevating this transparency, you sort of understand um, y- y- anyone could take that data and kind of do their own analysis. But then the transportation board's point of view, they they want to sort of keep this in check until they know absolutely without a doubt what happened and then release that. And so that way there's less spread of misinformation. I don't know. What do you guys think of this? Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of am on the side of the NTSB board in that <clears throat> I'm a big fan of, of what they do. And, uh, you know, uh, as human factors people, we, we study a lot of what uh, has come out of them, right? I mean, everything, uh, a lot of uh, airline accidents and incidences, uh, we study those. And 
the reports that they that come out from them uh, are are incredibly useful. Um, so I, I definitely see why they would um, ask Tesla to to uh, not be part of it anymore. I'm just uh, I'm surprised that they allowed him uh, to be part of the board to begin with, um, only because that's like asking uh, you know an airline an aircraft uh, uh, like Boeing or somebody to to be part of their investigation for an airline crash, right? Of course, they're going to come out and say, oh, it was the human, the pilot did something wrong. Um, so to me, I'm not really surprised that, that uh, this kind of thing happened. Yeah, it's unfortunate that this kind of thing happened. Uh, Blake, what are your sort of opinions on, on what, who, what side of the aisle do you fall on with this? Okay, so I'm going to take the unpopular side, it seems, here. I Honestly, I fall on the side of Tesla here. But maybe oh. it's because of the what's going on right now specifically. Like we just had somebody killed by a you know an, an automat- autonomous Uber driver driving car last week. So I mean the the idea of autopilot is definitely up in the air. It's got people scared, freaking out about it. And I, I understand that this definitely affects Tesla's bottom line at the end of the day, right? So waiting an entire year for the NTSB to go through protocol to figure out whether it was the a their particular autonomous system or not i mean that makes sense and i get it that's the the process the ntsb uses but we've i i don't know i have to say from from tesla we've seen a lot of good measures in terms of what they update and change based on problems they have so it and i'm sure that a lot of their autopilot data if they're going to come out and say like hey this is this is really not an autopilot problem they have they're going to have to make that information public regardless um, so I, I see the I see Woodrow's point and definitely understand it, right? And and to what he was saying, I really don't understand how Tesla was even involved with them in the first place. Um, maybe only for the sake of set of them trying to keep this autopilot thing from being public. From Tesla saying it was it was the driver's fault and not autopilot um, would be the only way I could see the NTSB needing to rope them in, right? So making them sign this agreement that they won't say anything. Um, but yeah. it's 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 kind of up in the air. Yeah, I, I, again, this is just a very strange kind of political set of things happening here. Because why w- why would Tesla agree to do this if they knew that down the line they might have to hold their tongue with regard to their own technology? Uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, right. But it's I think it has a lot of impact on what we do in the future, especially for people with human factors degrees that are working in kind of transportation and as auto autonomous vehicles get put into the system. Like, how do we quickly assess like in in following ntsb protocol like what really happened determine fault determine improvements all that kind of stuff when these negative events do occur Uh, so maybe it'll kind of push things in a different direction uh, depending on how the public receives it yeah i so this is slightly unrelated but did you guys see elon musk's tweet this uh this week regarding Uh, yeah, right. There's so many of them. Uh, so I was it was, about to say, yeah. <laughs> it was the it was the one regarding um, humans being underrated. Yeah. No. Yeah. So so basically, he tweets out earlier this week. He goes, "Yes, excessive automation at Tesla was a mistake. To be precise, my mistake. Humans are underrated." Um, and that's the biggest understatement of the year uh, for for us human <laughs> factors <laughs> practitioners. You know. So, uh, but this was not in. I should be clear. This is not in response to the uh, the crash. This is in response to the automation at the factories and and creating the um, the the actual vehicles that they produce. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah. The, I saw something but, related to that or an article about how the how he's basically sleeping on the floor of the Tesla production room because he just feels like because of some of the automation problems they introduced, he's got to be there twenty four seven just to get things done. Yeah, so uh, it's good to see that he is sort of acknowledging that humans are a very important part of... uh, It's okay to have automation, but he's acknowledging that excessive automation may not necessarily... There are some jobs that humans always have to do. I don't know. I I, I understand that this is a sidebar, and I I just feel like it's an important thing. And since we're talking about Tesla and Musk and all this stuff, I think that it's just... It was a good time to bring it up. Um, But I I don't know. What do you guys think of the whole reducing automation and and incorporating the human more according to this tweet i don't know so it's kind of funny for me returning to my current job right because i'm doing a different set of things and one of them is looking at kind of more keystroke level modeling and how we can how in a process where we model where we start to model things based off what we know currently about how operators interact with specific systems and across systems and they interact with each other and what that looks like from like a timeline perspective and where we can fit in, you know, fixes to the UI and how does that impact it. But one big one is where does automation go? Where can we implement it? And by looking at that and talking through with with people that I work with that are much more in tune to how to implement automation in a correct way and actually run kind of sims that give you an idea of what that impact's going to look like it's becoming obvious to me that like this this point you're bringing up that you're we're always going to have a lot of interplay between humans and automation but i i still think that the human is going to be so much more central um even as things get more automated whether it's in factories or in cars that we're going to have to constantly keep them in the loop and make sure that things really are evident to them um, because I don't know that right now the state of technology or even in the state of technology maybe 10 years that all just autonomous everything is going to replace human beings doing any of the work that they do or um, replace how they think critically about problems so I think it's important especially with this big big like technology focus on things like AI and machine learning and implementing more robotics into not just the workplace but in your home um, to remember that this is all centered around human ideas, and so they are going to be flawed. So I, I don't know. I agree with kind of Musk's sentiment, and I th- it's a great point that you brought up. Yeah, it was almost like a yeah. f- fifth news story. Go ahead, go ahead, Woodrow. I cut you off there. Oh yeah, I was just going to say I I agree. I think um, uh, to go along with Blake's point, it's we we have to make sure that there is a line, and um, you know, automation is great for certain things, but we have to make sure that we we do keep the the human in the loop and and make sure that uh, we're not just throwing everything to automation and just say go sit in a chair and and uh, just watch that thing. Um, so, yeah, I was actually dealing with something this week where we were talking about humans on the loop, uh, where this you, you get this um, higher level uh, situation awareness of of the system and what's going on with it. And I, I thought that was an interesting concept as well. Um, okay, so we talked the Tesla stuff to death. Let's go ahead and get into our next story. All right. So using well-established machine learning techniques, researchers from the University of California, Berkeley have taught simulated humanoids to perform over 25 natural motions, from somersaults and cartwheels through high kicks and breakdancing. Computer animation has never been better, but there's still plenty of room for improvement. If we're ever going to get to venture through to the other side of the uncanny valley, it'll be 
B, because we finally imbued our virtual characters with natural appearances and movement. In the UC, Berkeley researchers have combined two techniques, both motion capture technology and deep reinforcement computer learning, to create something completely new, a system that, a system that teaches simulated humanoids how to perform complex physical tasks in a highly realistic manner. Nick, uh, the demonstrations that they have in this article just kind of blew my mind that they were able just to basically model how to do nat these 25 natural motions in what seems so simple in this com computer animation. Yeah, I think the thing that's most exciting to me is the, the potential this has for modeling um, and for especially modeling human motion right and i i feel like woodrow would be more apt to talk to this because he's our ergo boy wonder but uh, i just i i i'm so glad we actually have him on the show for this so woodrow <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you for your thoughts because you you like i asked you about this article earlier and uh you you almost seem bursting at the seams like you wanted to talk about this so the floor is yours yeah no i thank you so much for that uh <laughs> now you put me on the spot here no, but um, no, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I was watching this, uh, the little clip that they have online, um, and, and it was just incredible to watch uh, how realistic it really did look compared to um, kind of what the, the natural motion of a, of a real human would be. Um, and so th there's a couple things that I immediately thought of, and one was uh, this is really going to um, improve uh, AI and CGI in movies and and games and everything, which I think is really going to be cool. The other thing I thought about, though, from my uh, ergo uh, boy side, is that uh, you know once you once you start understanding these kind of natural motions, um, you know it'd be interesting to see how they can start using this to actually help uh, those individuals uh, with uh, disabilities, and ah. seeing how these natural motions um, and and potentially. Um, how to help uh, improve, uh, you know, uh, motor skills uh, for people that have a degra uh, degradation of those. Um, so I think I think there's a lot of really cool things that could come out of this. Yeah, you mentioned um, sort of the uh, CGI in movies, and um, I have a side tangent to that. So costume designers, when they design the costume, they don't always design it. They design it to look cool, right, on screen. They don't necessarily design it to be comfortable, to fit. Uh, but if you could put, like, a digital costume on one of these, uh, uh, potentially these AI models, you could, and there's a complex stunt that has to be done in the movie, you could essentially see how that costume, something that fits the body um, according to, you know, all these parameters, and see how that interacts with this virtual model. Um, and I mean, don't even get me into the VR applications of this. Like this will go miles. Like they mentioned the, um, the uncanny Valley in this, uh, in this article. And that is one big sort of, uh, thing that kind of takes you out of immersive environments is when you can tell something's not quite there, but, uh, and some of it is the stiff movements, right? Um, and I mean, we've seen in movies where, uh, oftentimes, um, you can get the uncanny valley with facial features, but you can also see it in the movement sometimes when, um, you know, something dramatic happens that they couldn't do with a, a physical human model or a physical human, um, actor or actress, 
you they they implement CG and because it's often an awkward sort of uh, thing. There's a specific example I'm thinking of uh, that's Star Wars, but uh, you know I'll, I'll let you guys talk. <laughs> No, now I'm interested to hear what the specific example is. Okay, all right. So, so in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, uh, after um, oh, so specific it is. So this is uh, when Obi Wan and Anakin board uh, General Grievous's flagship, uh, and and they find Palpatine in the room, um, and they're fighting Count Dooku. Okay, so Count Dooku throws Obi-Wan up against this railing. He falls, and then he force pulls the the balcony basically down on Obi-Wan, and it just looks really awkward. If you go and find this on YouTube, or, or uh, you know, if you're a nerd like me and have a collection, go look at this scene, and it's very kind of awkward, and you can tell that this is CGI. Um, and it's, you know, supposed to be something crushing a human body, and it just doesn't, it doesn't look right. Uh, so that's my specific example. <laughs> I love it. I love how how specific that was. So I want to actually piggyback off of something Woodrow said and kind of how this could maybe impact, you know, people with potentially with disabilities or in moving into like a more a more commercial application. Something and this doesn't necessarily tap into both sides of what's going on here. So we've got the deep learning slash machine learning there that's going on to really analyze and pump out these uh, let's see, natural-looking move- movements that are based off of human movement. And then we've got the part that's that's giving you some visual that looks much cleaner, kind of what Nick just described in if you were able to replace the scene with Obi-Wan with this clean-looking CGI. But may- something I've always wanted to like either be able to have in an app or use in like a separate device is something that can watch my form when I whenever I like lift or if I'm trying to learn some kind of new... I don't know, kettlebell technique, whatever it is, something that can actually see my form and know what the correct form should be. And this this gets a little bit more abstracted, right? So taking that data, the understanding of natural human movement, and then incorporating maybe some sort of wearable to cue your body that, okay, you're you're making this kind of position with your hip, let's say, if you were like to cue it to make it move back or whatever to get you to that more natural human position. I feel like the the background technology of this really has a lot of applications in kind of either fitness or even in like a commercial um, industry, potentially like, like let's say inside of a factory where workers have to be careful of like where they're standing or what's going on in relation to machines, even though we've talked a lot about how some of these robots are very smart now, even be able to cue operators that they might need to move, that they're potentially in the wrong zone, or if they're bending too much and it's putting too much strain on their back to stand up straight or that kind of stuff. So I, I see a lot of application of the background as well as what you guys are talking about with more of the, the CGI aspect. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Blake. I can I can definitely, as soon as you said that, all, all I thought of was uh, these little haptic feedback sensors, right, that are placed specifically around your body or even in or even embedded within clothes so that as you're as you're doing a technique right and your your uh your back is slightly bent it gives you a little buzz to let you know that the form is not quite right in that specific area and you can correct it yeah i I think that's that's like a a million dollar fitness idea right like because i see that's where all this stuff is going it's just it's jumping into wearables and having kind of like a personal trainer that's always on on your side through your phone so it's a it's a a cool little metaphor for sure yeah absolutely 
All right. Well, why don't we... We are already 30 minutes in. Why don't we jump into the next one? But before we do... Before we do, I would like to thank all of our friends over at Gadget, Bloomberg, and Gizmodo for all of our stories this week. Uh, If you guys have stories that you want us to talk about on the show, please join us on our Slack, post on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're we're all over the place. I don't know. Are we on Instagram? I don't know. (laughs) I'm I'm talking out my ass here. Like, we're everywhere we're, and we're, anywhere. We're everywhere. If you have stories you want us to cover, talk about it there. Uh, Blake, what do we got up next? Okay, this one is is really kind of freaked me out. I will not lie. So, believe it or not, mobile apps sometimes overstep their bounds by collecting more data from kids than the law actually allows. But how often does that really happen? Well, researchers using an automated testing process have discovered that over 3,000 family and child-oriented Android applications are improperly collecting kids' data, potentially putting them in the violation of the U.S. COPA law, which limits the data collection for kids that are under 13 years old. Only a small number were particularly particularly glaring violations, but many of the apps exhibit a behavior that could easily be seen as questionable. The researchers are adamant that they're not showing any kind of definitive definitive legal liability and that these apps may be running afoul of the law, but it's up to regulators like the FTC to decide if they actually are. Also, and I love this part because this is good science, without the iOS data to compare it to, it's also unclear on how common this type of problem is across all platforms. So, Guys, I wasn't really even aware, and I, I think it's great, obviously, that there were rules that were l- limiting the amount of data collection you could do on specific populations, in this case, kids. So I, I didn't even know that was something that was going on. I thought everybody was just potentially victim to having their data collected if they used an app. So that's that's cool in the first place. Yeah, we'll talk about legislation a little bit more uh, when it comes to... Um keeping humans safe but I, I yeah i that was something that i didn't even realize either until you know we read this article and kind of looked more into it um this is a really interesting sort of problem that can definitely fall easily under the radar of parents right this is something so so they are tracking kids with these uh tracking kids data with these apps right and um to what degree they are tracking it, you know, that's that's the issue is because they're looking at location data. And when you have location data on children, uh, they're already a vulnerable population. And this just this screams for abuse if it gets in the wrong hands. Right. We talked about the Strava data on the show a couple months ago. When that whole thing came out, the aggregation of data. If you have these apps that sort of, um, you know, c- combine this information, uh, you can get a targeted area of where children hang out, uh, probably elementary schools. But it's scary because they are a vulnerable population and there are really terrible people out there who will potentially hurt or, or harm these children uh, based on this data. And that's the scariest part to me. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Nick. Especially when we're talking about something where this is some of the some of the data that they collected was it's about like over three hundred of the like five, over almost fifty eight hundred apps that were looked at do collect this location data without really asking a parent's permission. So that's a major red flag, like Nick said. But even kind of further, and this was really an interesting point to me, is that about eleven hundred of these actually share this information identifying information with third parties which in turn is actually violating google's terms of service so that 
that was kind of the part to me that really spoke up was that it's it's not so much that just data is being kind of shared in the wrong places. It's that it doesn't seem like it's being enforced or is maybe it's not able to be enforced as well as it should be by providers. In this case, Google, again, not calling out Google for any other reason that this was only limited to Android apps, because I have a feeling that this is this is not just uh, localized to Android, but uh, so I'm wondering if, if part of it is now ha- trying to figure out how we can better enforce these limits on what can be done with data, especially when, it, when we're talking about kids, but like for anybody, for, for instance, that uses any kind of apps that collect data or run in the background. Yeah, no, Blake, I, I completely agree with you. And um, I actually did kind of know a little bit about, about this COPA law. I didn't know about it specifically, but uh, you know, one of the projects that I'm working on uh, deal specifically with uh, privacy policies uh, at an enterprise level, but a lot of the information that we've been using and and a lot of the stuff that we've been focusing on talks about individual policies and whether people actually understand or even know about what a privacy policy is um, and creating those um, policies for yourself um, to help protect yourself. And this is definitely one of those cases where you know, there definitely needs to be something enforced to where when you when you sign up for an app, you should have on your phone or some sort of uh, something, uh, you know, indicating this policy saying, I will not allow any apps that track location data. And uh, that should, you know, that should absolutely block anything that does. So um, I definitely think legislation needs to be uh, taken into consideration. Yeah, I I think that's a good segue into our last story, honestly. I mean, we're talking about legislation. Let's talk about some good news, I guess. Blake, why don't you go ahead and get into the last story here? Yeah, interesting news nonetheless. So a new report by the Lord Select Committee in the UK claims that Britain is a strong position to be the world leader in the development of artificial intelligence. But to get there and to keep AI safe and ethical, ethical, tech firms should follow the committee's newly proposed AI code. The AI code is a 181-page report that is wide-ranging from its recommendations, but the committee suggests five overarching principles for a basic AI code. So, number one, artificial intelligence should be developed for the common good and benefit humanity. Artificial intelligence should operate on principles of intelligibility and fairness. All right. Our official intelligence should not be used to diminish the data rights or privacy of individuals, families or communities. Uh, Number four, all citizens have the right to be educated to enable them to flourish mentally, emotionally and economically alongside artificial intelligence. And lastly, the autonomous power to hurt, destroy or deceive human beings should never be vested in artificial intelligence. Wow. I, for whatever reason, this reminds me very much of Asimov, but I think it's an interesting step for the UK, kind of writing out like a, almost a, a high-level code of ethics for how to tackle building AI. Yeah, I think it's a very, very important thing, right? And like you said, Asimov, like there are these, these laws of artificial intelligence, there are these um, sort of uh, stages, but now, now we're getting into the space where there's legislature and that is the interesting piece to me because now we as a society or at least london is right or uk uh now we are sort of acknowledging that this is a thing and uh you know we're taking steps or at least we're uh selecting individuals to take steps to uh sort of 
mitigate some of these risks that we are sort of exposed to with the creation of these uh, artificial intelligent agents. Most definitely. The, so I, I think this is a great idea. It makes a lot of sense to me. I want to preface my next point with I have not read the 181-page report. You haven't? So if you didn't? This is, no, I have not. But So if this is detailed in there, and I am very interested to find out, so I will be reading it to some degree, but I like the idea of having these high-level rules. It makes a lot of sense. But where I get worried and more or not worried more concerned about is how we define some of these things operationally so we're actually meeting them right like uh, number two is a perfect example we're op- artificial intelligence should operate on principles of intelligibility and fairness now what does fairness mean and in what context from what perspective uh, I, I feel like that's that's going to be a hard thing to internalize and have a definition that always works in every instance as it relates to AI and how they interact with humans. Um, so, I, and I feel like there there's pieces of that throughout all of this guidance. Now, again, not saying it's bad or not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm more worried about what the application actually looks like of this. Yeah, I the the application. You bring up a good point. The application is going to be interesting for sure. The um, the actual document itself, the publication, they actually break it down. Uh, so chapter one is uh, introducing artificial intelligence. So what is it? Chapter two is engaging with it. Um, how how you would do this on a daily sort of everyday thing. Uh, chapter three is designing it, which is particularly important to us, right? And I I meant to sort of dive into this one. Then you have guidelines of developing, working with alongside that also pertains to us uh living with artificial intelligence healthcare and ai uh and mitigating risks and all this is uh oh and it keeps going shaping artificial intelligence they they have uh this is a really interesting way to organize this information and it's important that they they've kind of brought out healthcare we talked about healthcare a couple a couple weeks ago when when you and elise were at the uh, healthcare symposium and sort of ai being in there and they are at the point where they understand that healthcare is its own thing and it has its own problems. And I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that has so much of an implication, right? Like not even just from the, can it, can AI really aid in helping care for humans? I think we've seen a lot of really great examples of that, even in, in its kind of infants infancy in terms of like some of the stories we talked about, about the, the machine learning analysis of what's going on when, with people's heart rates and Fitbits and connecting that to different kinds of diseases. But in terms of like what happens for, for doctors and nurses and how that they're allowed to keep their, like are not allowed, but they have the right to be educated and still have that same job that they want to without losing it to artificial intelligence. And I may be, I may be extracting too much for number four about that, but I think, I think that's a really important conversation to have. Like it's, it's the same thing, it's it's a very similar vein, right? But it's the same thing in what we were talking about with cars or automation in general. Where is the lines that you draw that you can say, okay, the human really should be doing this, and artif- AI or automation can really help here. And I think that that plays a big role in the surgical room or in the OR where the surgeon is making so many snap decisions that I, I'm not going to say that in the future AI couldn't make those decisions and potentially 
be able to predict outcomes better than a human would be able to. But at this, at the same time, that's not today. Uh, it's not enough data for it to, you know, process and make those decisions now. So it's just a, it's a great idea, but I wonder how it all plays out, especially in the medical field. Yeah, I, I've been having some really interesting conversations about artificial intelligence over the last couple of days and um, sort of what the what the roles are and, and where to kind of draw the line. I mean, we talked about this earlier, like where do you draw the line of like what types of artificial intelligence should you use uh, to help the humans do their job, right? And, and uh, what kind of information uh, is, is most relevant to the humans and what what kind of systems can we set up to be an artificial agent in those processes right and and uh so a lot of this is super relevant to me right now which is fortunate because we're covering it and it's fun um woodrow did you have any thoughts on artificial intelligence and stuff because i know you're you're working and stuff because you're working on um like you said policy from the higher level and uh yeah I, yeah i uh actually so it's funny the first thing that came to my mind and and i think i've maybe have said this before and i'll probably get a lot of uh flack for it but first thing i thought of was uh i robot the movie okay uh, i can see it because they had they had it was with will smith but it was it was they had these four guidelines or four uh ai code rules um or five something like that but it was along the same premise of do no harm um but they ended up through machine learning, they ended up kind of going about those rules. And so um, I'm kind of on, on uh, going along with Blake's idea. I think that there, we need to find where that point is where we don't really want to cross that line. You're, um, you're really quick to jump in here. You're talking about the three laws of robotics, I think, is what you're referencing. Um, yes. And, and to, to restate what those are, uh, number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through interaction or inaction allow a human being come to harm. Um, number two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Yes. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And so so applying those rules or, or sort of these types of philosophies to um, artificial intelligence agents uh, and, and these sort of AI systems could be a potential way of designing. I'm, I'm curious now if they actually reference the laws of robotics in designing the artificial intelligence systems um, in, uh, in this document. Oh, that yeah. would be really interesting if they've got all of like or any kind of reference to, you know, as well science fiction about that. That's nuts. OK, hang on. So I'm oh, man, this is exciting. I'm actually digging into this a little bit live on the show. So you have uh, intelligible AI and they kind of they they break it down by like technical transparency. So so they have to um, you have to be able to understand what's going on and be able to explain away the processes that the AI is doing for the human. There's even a section in here that adjust uh, that uh, addresses prejudice, because we 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 know uh, like from books from thing from books like Weapons of Math Destruction we we know there are biases inherently built in to these algorithms and the fact that there's uh, they're taking considerations to build this into the legislation for building AIs is is really exciting to me. 
I th- I think it's it's the way of the future, man. I mean, I we're gonna have to get used to the idea of building in laws and structure that surround this kind of technology to kind of not not constrain its innovation, but definitely put pull the reins on how it affects not just the people that are implementing it or building it or they're really thinking about it, but population as a whole. And I, I think that's important both from a local perspective, so in the UK, but also globally. I, I, at some point, I feel like that's going to be very important because it, it won't be only localized to like one one country building AI products. It's going to it's gonna expand because, I mean, we've got, like in the States alone, we've got heavy hitters like Amazon and Google and Apple who are definitely dabbling around in it. And then there's a lot, there's a lot of work in Europe going on about artificial intelligence. And that's where we started really hearing Elon Musk speaking out a whole bunch about like, this is dangerous, all that kind of gear. So I feel like the more that we start getting used to this interplay of incorporating AI or whatever new technology is coming in and how it, and looking at it from the perspective, perspective of how it's going to impact not just the bottom line but people's lives in general is going to be really important i agree all right guys well why don't you say we get into some it came from reddit it came from it came from reddit yeah this is the part of the show this is where we're switching gears we're talking about it came from reddit this is where we search all over reddit to bring you guys topics that you guys the community are talking about. See, it's simple. We search all over subreddits, uh, any subreddits, fair game, as long as the topic of discussion relates to human factors and encourages, uh, you know, polite discourse amongst the community. So, guys, I think we have time for one, maybe two, but let's, I'm going to throw it to Woodrow. Which one do you think? Should we do one, two, or three tonight? Uh, let's see. I am going to say, let's go two. We're going with two. So this one is uh, uh, MSNHCI at DePaul or MSNHFE at SJSU. So uh, this is by Harsh109 on the HCI subreddit. And this is uh, the Harsh109 goes on to write, I recently got admitted to DePaul and SJSU's HCI programs. I've been trying to do research about them to decide where I want to go. How is the reputation of both programs? Uh, in its region or nationality, or, or nationally, sorry, uh, anyone, anybody from the professional field with some knowledge about graduates from them, any pros or cons I should know about either schools. Uh, well, guys, I have zero knowledge on this one, so I'll let you handle it. <laughs> uh, Blake? All right. So there was a reason I picked this one, and this is very much my view of grad school and how I the approach that I took. You guys hop in and let me know if you have any kind of disposing views. But I also do not know anything specifically about these schools. But I think what is most important here, whether you want to get a, a master's in HCI or, or HFE, especially since we're looking at the master's level, I would really be focusing on what kind of research is coming out of these institutions and does it interest you? Do, is there anything in there that like specific pep professors are doing currently or have done in the past that you're super interested in. Um, Cause I'm sure through either master's program being at SDSU, I know a lot of people that got, that went through the HFEF program there. They are great practitioners. One of them has been on the show, Joe, Joe Ott. Uh, and I'm sure the same is true for getting an HCI degree from DePaul. 
but it's it's more so what kind of experience do you want to have in grad school? Like I know that in the past, Nick's talked about the fact that he actually got to work with uh, work on different VR projects. I, I think that's got to be a really important thing, or maybe ha- maybe even have a little bit of influence in his decision making. And same thing for me. I was I had the background as an aerospace engineer originally when I started school, and then wanted to pursue a master's in psychology because that's what I ended up kind of getting more drawn to. And then this particular human factors program that I went to really focused on not just human factors, but also its applications in aviation and space travel and that kind of stuff. So I think if you're going to worry about the prestige of the university, I would push that a little further to the side and really be paying attention to what are the professors doing that have come out of that university? What are they currently kind of working on and what research is coming out of there and does any of it get it get you excited about going and being a practitioner not just from the learning aspect of the school but to keep going outside of school is it going to allow you to jump into a career path that you're stoked about Um, that's that's my take on it and it's why i pulled this one not so much because i know anything about either school specifically but just to give people more like i don't know a different perspective on how to look at choosing what program versus another program. Yeah, I will definitely agree with that. I think the choice of uh, mentor is the most important in your uh, in your graduate studies. I, I would highly recommend finding a good mentor uh, or, or a mentor that will uh, at least work with you on topics that you want to study, right? You may not, you may not find a mentor who wants to do exactly what you want to research or, or work on. But if you find someone that's close enough and is willing to work with you, uh, that is just as good. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't have any other thoughts on that. I think, Blake, you kind of nailed it on the head. Woodrow, any follow-up to that? Yeah, I was going to say, Blake, you did a fantastic job there. But um, I, I think to go along uh, with what Blake was saying, um, and, and this is not only going out to the person that, that uh, posed this question, but to anyone that's looking at at uh, programs right now, make sure and do your homework. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of resources out there, but one of the things, and and one of the most important things that I learned, uh, in one of my internships was, uh, one, do your, do your homework, but also look outside, uh, your comfort zone. Uh, even if you live in a specific area, West coast, East coast, don't just look at schools in that particular area, but, but look at, like you guys were saying, uh, what is the research they're actually doing and what interests you? So, the research labs, what kind of uh, research is actually coming out. And then also take a look at some of their graduates. See where their graduates are, are working, right? So you can easily find that on LinkedIn and stuff like that of where some of those recent graduates uh, got jobs. And that, that could influence you too. If a lot of people are going into academia um, and you're more going into industry or want to go into industry, uh, you might want to look at a program that has a bit more um, uh, graduates going into the industry side. So uh, those are just uh, a few extra things. Yeah, or uh, you know, you could take the shotgun approach and uh, just blast it out and see who accepts you, and then take whatever. You can do that too. All right, guys, let's get out of here. That's it for the day. That's it for today. <laughs> let's know what you guys think of the stories this week. Did you like them? Hate them? Did you like the discussion about AI and and you know taking advantage of kids' data? You know, you can talk to us. It's okay. You can let us know if you have any suggestions for topics or news stories you want us to cover. You can follow us all over social media. You can join the discussion on our Slack. Highly recommend that. Like I said, we got a wealth of knowledge in there. Bunch of Human Factors practitioners just hanging out. Uh, you can also head over to the Human Factors Cast LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at H Factors Podcast. 
Be sure to check out our SoundCloud. You can also leave us a comment over there or send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. Do things the old-fashioned way. Hey, if you like what you hear and you want to support us, please consider going over to our Patreon. We just did a big refresh and are releasing episodes weekly uh, that, that normal listeners won't get. Uh, it is for the people who support us financially. It is an experimental platform where we do investigative journalism, uh, history of human factors, uh, just just more of the banter that you hear at the top of the show. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast. Consider donating. You know, we do this for free. And, and we bring these shows to you ad-free, and we are 100% listener-supported. I hate I hate self-promoting. It's like the worst, but we have to, right? Uh, if you can't do that, then all right, whatever. You can still like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, whatever your favorite podcast directory is. You know, we also get off by word of mouth. The only way that we succeed is by you guys telling your friends about us. Uh, so, so please let other people know and like, review, do all that stuff. It always helps. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank my panel for being uh, amazing and, and listening to me ramble at the longest outro ever. I want to thank them for being here. Where can our listeners go and find you, Woodrow Gustafson, if they want to talk about Ergo Boy Wonder Stuff? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or Slack, uh, the HFES Slack, uh, HFCast Slack. Yes, there you go. You can find him on the Slack or LinkedIn. And Blake, Mr. Blake Garnsdorf, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about getting into trouble with AI? If you guys want to talk about getting into trouble with AI, I'm going to give you a different link this time. So come find me at anchor.fm slash don'tpanicux and let's do a co-host session and learn about AI together. Yeah, we'll post that on Human Factors Cast Infinite. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again, guys, for tuning into Human Factors Cast this week. Until next time, it depends. It depends. Yeah, it depends, everyone. That's the last time we let guests pick. It came from Reddit. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 12.02, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory because it's more than just common sense.